0: This is a Retail Insider Podcast. You're listening to a special edition. Welcome to the Retail Insider Podcast. I'm Craig Patterson. I'm joined here today with Gary Lynette. He is uh, one of the co-founders of Doer, a uh, fashion brand known for its jeans and, uh, and uh, innovative uh, fashion products. So welcome. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Doer, and I think I'm pronouncing that correct. It's Doer. So... Sure. Yeah, it's really
1: for all you do in a day. I couldn't get a trademark on the word D-O, so we we, we um, spelled it D-U-E-R. So it's uh, it's for people who want to do a lot, you know, that are ambitious and want to do a lot in their day and don't necessarily want to change their clothes throughout the day.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's got a, a range of, um, you know, tops, bottoms. Tell me about the product line generally. You know, uh, for, and it's for men and women. You
1: know, our, our, our primary uh, sort of, Brand promise is that we make the most comfortable pants in the world. Um, we do do some tops, but our, we're primarily a bottoms maker. That's been my expertise most of my career. I'm not sure if you know, but bottoms uh, I like them because they're hard to make. There's barriers to entry. Not everybody can, um, especially washed bottoms. Uh, you know, jeans and other washed garments are difficult to make. So that's been my expertise over the years, and uh, and that's what Doers' uh, primary. Brand promises that we make the best pants in the
0: world. Excellent. I actually have a couple of pairs that I'm not getting paid to say this, but they're great. So oh, thank you. <laughs> and tell me a bit about how the brand got started because you were um, certainly in the retail industry and uh, uh, shifted things uh, to uh, your own line. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been in. Um, different aspects of this industry
1: for probably over 30 years now. I, I don't know. I've lost track. Um, but um, and at one time was a large manufacturer of denim products for other, for other people. And I had my own brands and had licenses. So we made jeans for Levi's, The Gap, Banana Republic, Ralph Lauren, Nordstrom. So I, you pretty much name it. And I worked with them at one time or another, if, um, if they made jeans in North America. And, um, but I was really, you know, that, that business, um, went the way of the dinosaur uh, along with all the other manufacturers in North America. And really, um, you know, by the time um, I started Doer, started conceptualizing Doer, I was actually looking to get out of the business. And what happened was is I I started, I said to my wife and sort of my key stakeholders, I said, look, I want to downsize the business. I I'd been traveling all over the world for years. And I said, I want to lead a simpler, healthier lifestyle. So I gave up my car and I started riding my bike everywhere. My home base is Vancouver. It's a great place to ride your bike. And if I had an important meeting, I couldn't find anything that I would wear um, while while riding my bike. I had a fairly long commute to work. It was about an hour. And the athletic sort of athleisure, athletic clothes didn't work for me because they were synthetic rich. And I just won't dress up like a nylon pant. I can't put... It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for my style. And then, and then the, the jeans wear didn't have enough technical in it for me to ride my bike for an hour. So I decided that I was going to, I thought, it, I didn't know how big the niche was, but I, I wanted to have, you know, instead of doing, everybody was doing athleisure, but I wanted to come at it from the fashion perspective and put technical into like jeans wear rather than taking A pre gym and saying you could wear it throughout your life. I wanted to take like regular pants and make them and put technical into them so that I could do everything I do in a day without changing my clothes. I could ride my bike to work. I could go into a meeting. I could go for, you know, a hike, um, play golf, do whatever I wanted to do. And I didn't have to change my clothes. Uh, uh, so that, that, that was really the Genesis of the brand. As I say, at the time, I didn't know that it would have, um, I I was a little bit uh, ahead of the curve, um, in terms of going at the sort of lifestyle category and, and it, uh, my little retirement gig has sort of blown up on me.
0: No, it has, because now the company has um, h- how many stores? Well, we, we actually only have four stores. We, we're a, what we call an omnichannel
1: channel business. Um, we only have four stores currently. We have plans to open up another four stores in the next year. Um, but we sell worldwide. We probably sell about 800 retailers. Maybe that's like 1,600 doors You know, from Nordstrom's to REI. Um, uh-huh. And then, of course, we're a digitally native brand. That was a big part of our economic engine from the beginning. So e-commerce is a big piece of what we do.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and the stores kind of complement that for the omni-channel strategy. I, I, I've i been to a few of them and they almost have like a jungle gym in them. I mean, that that's pretty experiential. You can actually swing on a swing. I, I've done it.
1: Yeah, I, you know, it wasn't necessarily... I wish I could say it was like this brilliant strategy, but it really happened organically because in our first design shop, we were in the Gastown area of Vancouver and and we put up this really very, very um, small pop-up store where we had this like temporary changing room. And it was at the front of As I say, it was a very small company. It was right at the front of our offices or our design shop. And I would watch the customers come in and they'd come out of the changing room and they'd start doing squats and high kicks. And they they were, I, I just really observed what they were doing. I thought, we have to build a retail environment where they can actually try it. Cause our brand promises, you can do everything you do in a day. You know, we, we promote an active, healthy lifestyle. I have to sort of create this environment. And so it was really customer driven. So we put in, um, we created, when we moved and did a permanent store, first permanent store, you know, we have a um, you're right. We have a tree fort, we have monkey bars, we have bikes that people could ride on. We have um, swings that they can swing on. And, and so it, It becomes uh, very much uh, um, sort of immersive experience coming to our store.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. And then the whole online thing, of course, uh, people learn about the brand, say through the stores, uh, interact with it, but they may purchase online. Exactly. And I mean, we, in
1: fact, they may... Um, all of our channels we find work really well together. Um, it's around synergy, you know, between the three. So they may, they may see us in another retailer. They may see us online and then come into the store. They may come into store and then maybe it's not convenient
0: for them. So they buy in another retailer. And, um, so they, they all work together. Interesting. And uh, now during the pandemic, obviously March 2020, we saw stores close. We saw consumers changing their spending patterns. Um, how did things change for Dewar um, during uh, that time? And how are things going right now?
1: Well, the chain things I'd never seen anything like that. I mean, I mean, we lost 70% of our revenues overnight in March, right? Because of the the only our retails shut down, our retail stores shut down and our wholesale division essentially shut down. We were selling to retailers. So, it was strictly e-commerce. Um we, you know, I'm sort of an old dog at this. I've been through a number of ups and downs and and so I I I think that You know, we did what was prudent. We moved quickly, um, pivoted, and uh, you know, and we're as it happens, we ended up having a a decent year. I mean, I'm not saying it wasn't without um struggles, um, you know, but we we were able to come through this and 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 we really looking forward to again this next year because we're not um, you know, we actually um Maintain their profitability and um, and actually year over year sales we grew a little bit not as much as we were pre pandemic but we we actually were twenty percent up year over year even with the absence of uh, many of our retail locations for most of the year.
0: Oh, excellent, excellent! And then again, you're planning growth in terms of brick and mortar and otherwise. Uh, we are. I don't. I stores. don't
1: see us building out thousands of stores. We don't have um, that kind of strategy. But we we see the stores as a really big part of this sort of, um, omni-channel approach. And so it, it's pretty intuitive. It's like, you know, we're, we're thinking LA, New York, um, uh, we already have a store in Denver and then other sort of high profile places. One of the things that happened in Vancouver is our brand started to get known globally. Cause we do, we do a lot of business in, in Northern Europe and, um, in other parts of the world and either through e-commerce or through our wholesale partners, and we find that tourists, like, actually, when they come to Vancouver, like, it's one of their stops, right, is our store. And so, you know, we want to, I don't see us opening thousands of stores, but we want to have stores spread out around the world. And then people will, they'll become destinations, hopefully, for them when they, um, for loyal customers.
0: Yes, yes. And the the Vancouver store um, is, it's either has moved or will be moving? Uh the your store is currently in Gastown and and
1: um we're um, hoping to open a new store on Fourth Avenue in the in the summer sometime. We're just we're not we don't have that quite pinned down.
0: Let's talk a little bit about wholesale versus um retail and kind of the direct to consumer uh In in terms of retail generally, what are you thinking in terms of, uh, you know, some, some brands are really just going direct to consumer. We'll say Louis Vuitton, you know, if you're going to buy a Louis Vuitton bag, it's going to be in a Louis Vuitton store, whether or not it's a concession or a standalone location versus, you know, doers selling in say to Nordstrom or REI as, uh, as wholesale. What do you think the future of this uh, mix is going to be for, for retail uh, generally? Yeah.
1: You know, it's an interesting question. It's a
0: question I get probably most
1: often, especially, you know, from industry insiders, um, because maybe we're going a little bit counterintuitive to what trend. Um, but I, I do believe so. I, I, I my answer is not simple. I, I, I can't give it a simple answer and a sound bite because it really has to do with the fact that I can, that we can run what I call a boutique global business. And why do I say that? Because we're selling all over the world and, how does that impact my decision to go wholesale? Well, we don't have to, like, we can really pick and choose our, our wholesale partners. Like, we don't have to saturate it. Um, we're selling all over the world. We sell through three channels and we only sell re- really good retailers that we think enhance our brand, you know, that project our brand well. And, 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 uh, we're very concerned about how we show up in our retailers. And, um, we can, you know, we can afford to be picky because we have this global reach rather than just, you know, traditionally, when I first started business, there was no, uh, that would be an oxymoron to have a small global, you know, boutique global business. You couldn't do that. Now we can sort of spread it out and pick the best retailers in Germany and the best retailers in the United States and the best retailers in uh, Switzerland or wherever. And um,
0: I, I think it really works well. Yeah. Well, that is really interesting. And uh uh, and that's impressive growth because a uh, doer start, it was only a few years ago that the brand really came about.
1: Yeah. I mean, we, I, when I sort of talked about my origin story, riding my bike and conceptualizing it, that was back in 2013. It took us probably two and a half years because our fabrics are proprietary. We had to come up, you know, it took us two and a half years to really get off the brand. So uh, our real starting point was 2015 and uh, we have grown, um, incredibly since then been very fortunate
0: and it's been fun yeah no i mean the growth is impressive because well, i was gonna say the brand only came into my consciousness a few years ago mainly because it was brand new right. <laughs> so, right you know vancouver is interesting as a city too because it seems to be a city that spawns several brands that have included technical fabrics as part of the ethos you know lululemon being one of them uh a kitten ace, I guess these are both Chip Wilson involved businesses, but, but, you know, Vancouver seems to be on the forefront of a really interesting you know, set of at least fashion retailers and trends around technical fabrics. Uh, you know, the city's quite laid back in terms of its lifestyle, but, uh, uh, you know, it's also quite entrepreneurial. It, it makes some sense when you
1: think about our lifestyle here, um, at least the aspirational lifestyle um, is that, you know, we can golf and ski and work in the same day. Like there's not too many people that can do that. Um, I think it makes sense that these lifestyles sort of technical lifestyle companies come out of Vancouver just because of the way that we live. As I said, you know, this came out of me riding my bike everywhere. I, you know, I love your, uh, I love Toronto, but it's so big. Like I couldn't ride my bike everywhere. Like it it would take me forever to get from A to B. So
0: it's really conducive here to this sort
1: of lifestyle brand. I think.
0: Oh, very interesting. And then let's talk a little bit about uh, leadership generally. I mean, you've got such an extensive experience, you know, in life before doer and life during it in terms of the brand. Um, What's, what sort of, I guess, advice could you give to entrepreneurs? Let's talk a little bit about that. Advice to entrepreneurs. Well, first of all, you know, when someone asks me what I'm I,
1: I'm not the smartest guy, not the most creative guy. I think resilient. You have to be resilient. I mean, that that's at sort of a 10,000 foot level. That's my first, like, you just gotta, you just gotta believe in yourself and just keep coming back. Cause you're gonna, you know, the one thing I know that if you're, if you're not, failing. And I really do believe maybe this would be my first point of advice is I do believe in failing fast, as they say. And if you're not, and if you're not failing at all, then you're not taking any risk. Like, I don't know anybody, any entrepreneur, anybody who's, you know, going to hit it every time. So, you know, my first advice is to, you know, to fail fast and learn from it. And, and, um, and, uh, but I, I think, you know, probably the, the, the single, um, the single most valuable piece of advice that I ever got came from someone that I really respected. He passed a few years ago, but he was the founder and CEO of Costco. And he said to me, and I was too young to really understand it, but over the years I, I started to really um, get it. He said to me, Gary, don't worry, like if someone's offering you money, don't worry about how much of Ownership of your company, you have. He said, think of it as a pie, right? It doesn't matter if you own 1% of the pie, 50% of the pie, or 100% of the pie, it depends how big the pie is. I only own 2% of Costco, and it's a very, very big pie. He said, and if you, you know, if you, you know, cash, if, if people will give you cash and invest in your business at reasonable terms, then you should take it because. He he went on to say, and and this is this is what I truly believe. It doesn't matter how much of the pie you own; it manages how well you manage it. So if you own only, you know, forty percent of the of the company, but you manage it really well, you're fine. And if you own a hundred percent of the company and you don't manage it well, you're not you're you're going to be in trouble. So you know, I, I thought that was really good advice, and 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 I certainly have taken on investors and people compliment my skills um, later in my career and um, have taken it to heart. I think it's good advice for
0: everyone. Mm-hmm. And would those investors also offer their skills, wisdom, whatnot to help the company grow at the same time. Yeah. I, I think, I think if you can get complementary, you know, um, investors
1: that, that can uh, drive the business in other ways that that's best, but I, you know, I will emphasize though that, you know, over my years, you know, because I, you know, unless you're, um, you know, you have a trust fund or something like that. Like it, money is always an issue because if you're growing fast, if you're successful and growing fast, you need more money. And if you've got some problems, which inevitably all entrepreneurs have, then you need to have a little bit of a safety net. So, you know, uh, I, I think, um, you know, it's It's great to have complementary investors, but if people want to invest money on reasonable terms, you should take it. You know, even if you're putting in a bank,
0: what would you say to entrepreneurs today? Like, do you think that the environment is different than it was? You know, when you'd started this around 2015, because I've talked to some entrepreneurs that have said, you know, times have really changed, especially with online. I mean, uh, online has changed; it's harder to acquire consumers just because of the competition. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's sort of. I mean, there's no question. I mean, I, I wouldn't even say 2015. When I look at my whole career, which spans now over 30 years, I mean, business has got more difficult in all realms. Not, not you know, in and and so it's sort of my answer is sort of like you need a differentiated product for sure. Like you have to have that product consumer relationship. You have to stand for something. Did the world really need another gene company? You know, unless there was something. And when you have a differentiated product, I think you can cut through the clutter in e-commerce. Um, otherwise, yeah, it is getting more and more difficult. It's getting more and more competitive, cluttered, whatever you want to call it. Um, no question. But I think if you if you have that product. Consumer relationship, it, it's you know it makes it a lot easier.
0: Oh, absolutely! And uh, no, let's we should let's conclude with talking about the future of fashion and retail generally. Um, where do you think it's going? And the reason I asked this is because uh, um, a couple of years ago, Chip Wilson wrote an article for us and was talking about that you know in the future humans would be wearing these high tech body suits and that fashion may not be quite a thing. I don't think I agree with that at all, but. Maybe it's so we'll have something similar to that, but we'll still want to be individual. Tell me a little bit about what you see in terms of the future of, uh, of fashion, uh, um, and we'll tie in retail too, because they're not always related, of course.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see my, I, I don't catastrophize retail. I think that um, some retailers are going to continue to have struggle um, if they're working on an old paradigm. But I think again, sort of what I'll call, I, I consider ourselves really a digitally native brand that does retail. And I think that they're going to take, fill the gap and you're going to see more and more quite innovative companies are going to fill, um, you know, maybe they won't fill all the malls, but, you know, they're going to fill some of the spaces of the legacy companies. I don't see retail going away. I mean, just think about, I I, I think about this pandemic and the fact that, you know, a number of our stores have been open for most of the pandemic and people have literally been taking their life in their hands to come shopping, right? Literally, (laughs) you know, they want that. People want that connection or, or some people do. And um, so I don't see retail going anywhere. Um, I think it's going to continue to evolve and change. Um, In terms of fashion itself, uh, you know, uh, wearable tech that Chip Wilson was talking about is still, um, we're not seeing it. I mean, people have been talking and predicting it for a long time. Certainly I agree with Chip to the extent that you know it's very inefficient, let's say when we go into homes to change our thermometers. You know, you I'm cold, my wife is hot. You know, it's it's very inefficient to try to address everybody. So it'd be nice if wearable tech would would deal with issues like that, but it, it's it's not happening uh, in the next five years. I don't see it happening in a commercial on a commercial sense. Um in terms of fashion, I'm I'm hoping some of the, there's gonna be some good things coming out of this pandemic um in the I've always, uh, for most of my career, you know, my big thing has been about post-consumer waste. And and that is basically that 67 pounds of clothing goes into landfills every year because we make this cheap disposable stuff and people buy it ridiculously low prices and throw it out after wearing it a few. And I'm hoping that that's going to stop. I don't know if that's more of a prediction or a wish. You know i see a lot of brands sort of pivoting towards what we were already doing which is really well-made course products that you don't you're not throwing out every season you know you, you you only need a few really well-made things and it's going to be better for our planet and it's it just makes sense to me so i i'm hoping
0: that's where the business is going um, that's what my wishes are it's a trend that i'm seeing certainly there's a bit more of a conscious consumer out there so uh yeah well thank you so much for joining us today this has been uh, gary lennett he's the co-founder of doer uh jeans i'm not sure if the word jeans is still in the name just doer just doer yeah. <laughs> vancouver based fashion brand that's terrific and uh, everyone check out the website we'll have uh links uh, on um, uh, the bio to this uh, podcast here so thank you so much again and i'm craig patterson i'm the uh, editor-in-chief of retail insider thanks. thanks take care and bye for now And just a gentle reminder, we do have an email newsletter that you can subscribe to that goes out every weekday morning. And it has a link to the Canadian news from around the web that we've curated from the previous day, as well as links to our recently published articles exclusive to Retail Insider. If you go to our website, retail-insider.com, you can find the subscribe area towards the bottom of our main page, and then you can get that email into your inbox every morning. Thank you everyone for listening and until next time.